Coming up on the rewatchables, effed up family February is finally over. Let's do some superhero movies. Batman, 1989, next. This episode is brought to you by USAA Auto Insurance. Life is full of tough decisions. Thanks to USAA Auto Insurance, picking your auto coverage is not one of them. Make the switch to USAA Auto Insurance and find out how much you could save. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it. All that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I hope you're listening to the Prestige TV Podcast. I broke down winning time there, episode one with uh, Joe House. We also had Super Pumped with Chris Ryan and Joanna Robinson, episode two, breaking that down. In general, the Prestige Pod is about to kick into overdrive because there is just a ton of good TV now. We covered the dropout there as well, so stay tuned for that. If you like this pod, I'm 99% sure you're going to enjoy the Prestige TV Podcast as well, coming up, we're going to do Batman 1989 version on Batman. It's next. The real story. The love story. A woman in danger. A hero in black. The adventure you've been waiting for. Where does he get those wonderful toys? Batman. PG-13, now playing at a theater near you. All right, Sean Fantasy is here. Chris Ryan is here. We're going to talk about the 1989 Batman. The Batman came out on Friday. Sean, you liked that movie. I did. I liked it a lot. Chris, you liked it? I did. Bill, when are you going to see it? Probably this week. Probably when my son was like, come take me. Is I, I I guess it's time. Going back to the movie theater, you had to wear a mask? Is there masks? I believe the mask mandate has been lifted in, in Los Angeles, yeah. The reason we wanted to do the 1989 one was the, it's the start of everything. It's the start of, of the superhero boom. It's the start of how to market a modern action movie. It is all these things. It was really fun to research this. And to, you know, to remember Batmania and how the merchandise and the trailer and all this stuff. Sean, how old were you when, when 1989 came out? I was just turning seven years old. Okay. Chris, how old were you? Twelve. So, Chris, you do you remember this whole hype leading up to the movie? Because I, I was in college at this point, so I remember everything. But yeah. what do you remember? I remember it being the biggest thing in my life. Just like the <laughs> knowing it was coming, seeing the billboards that just was the the bat symbol and the feeling around this movie that I think would be replicated a couple of times over the course of like my childhood, most notably with like Jurassic Park, where you just like know something is just going to be the biggest thing 
in movies and in culture. But this was the first time I think this was the biggest movie experience of of my life up until that point that I that I could remember at least. Sean, does this happen anyway, or did Batman unlock something that would eventually? Um, That's a good ruin question. Movie, ru- ruin movies as you love them. Well, I, I have a complicated relationship with it because I do like a lot of superhero movies, but I hate what they've done to the industry. I, you know, it, in a in a way, it already did happen in '78 with Superman, and then strangely the movie industry didn't capitalize on it. For whatever reason, aside from making three more Superman movies, there were not a lot of comic book movies. You know, there was like a Howard the Duck movie and there was like a Punisher movie, but there were not a ton of comic book movies in the 1980s. And so I think that it's as much a story about studios getting wise to the concept of intellectual property and making movies about things that already existed in the wider world because of that merchandising point that you're making, Bill. You know... The going to see the movie Batman was as much about for a kid like me getting a you know a toy Batmobile and for a teenager to get a Batman logo T-shirt and for a person in their twenties getting the Batman soundtrack album from Prince. You know, th- this was like a fully integrated, synchronized, mega corporate execution centered around a movie, and that is obviously where we are in our culture right now. So it's hugely important. So I'm old enough to remember the Superman movie. Which was a really big deal. It was a really big deal that they found an unknown to play Superman, Christopher Reeve. It was a big deal that Marlon Brando was in it. I had no fucking idea who Marlon Brando was. <laughs> that, that, that meant nothing to me. Um, but it felt like a big deal, and it felt like you had to go see it in the theater. I also love Superman, too. Like I remember being super yeah. pumped for Superman 2 and seeing that in the theater. I might have even seen that one twice. Yeah, you were, next, you were kneeling before Zod. <laughs> oh my God. Superman 2 is incredible. I, I really still, I stand by Superman 2 now. Superman 1 is slow. Um, it's, you know, it, you watch that now and it really feels like, a, like an old, old blockbuster. But Superman 2 is a cool movie. And then the next two bombed. I mean, Superman 4 is, has to be one of the worst movies of the 80s, which is really saying something. Superman 3 was not good either. And it felt like that superhero thing just kind of died. And at the same time, they're making, they're trying to figure out this Batman thing that whole decade. Basically, off the success of the first Superman, how do we do this with Batman? And my relationship with Batman was that was one of the coolest TV shows of my childhood. And um, it was the Adam West and Burt Ward and, you know, the Riddler and the Joker and the Penguin and Catwoman. The reruns would come on. You would never know which one was on. I saw all of them multiple times. There were ones that I really loved. And, you know, for my generation, we were just in on Batman. So when they started this hype machine, we were like, cool, Batman movie. Um, But now I look back and I think like, Chris, like, this is where the root of all the evil starts. Like, because they had us. They had us for nine months getting ready for this. And- it just it showed the blueprint for everybody else. Yeah, and you know this is something that it, the movie itself touches on this a little bit, uh, and then Jurassic Park certainly has like a meta quality to it about like the idea of merchandising the shit out mm. of movies and making everything a lunchbox and making everything into something about materialism, but certainly with like a wink and a nod because then they also reap the benefits of all that materialism and commodification of, of art. I, I guess the question I always ask myself about the superhero stuff is if it hadn't been superheroes, would it have been something else? I mean, there's always been a dominant genre play in Hollywood, whether it's Westerns or musicals or whatever. And I'm sure that there are people around in, in the forties and fifties who are like, we have Westerns are, 
aren't really my bag, you know, like I don't don't really care about horses and I'm sure they were felt yeah. left out. You know, I, I think it's not necessarily the superhero part that bothers me these days as as much as it is um the storytelling part that goes into the superheroes and, and the idea that you basically are always trying to kick the can down the road and keep people waiting for that next fix of a movie and not really telling a complete story. That's the thing about Batman, the nineteen eighty nine Batman, is that Underneath it all, if you look under the hood, it's a pretty lean, mean movie. You know, it's a, it's like basically a two-hander. It's basically like mano y mano, as Joker puts it. And it, it's very, very understandable, even if it's kind of campy and silly in places. And they took some good chances with it. Tim Burton had only done two movies and was a really respected up-and-coming director, but not typical choice to do this. Um, Keaton was that almost caused a riot when they named him. And then Nicholson was one of the biggest stars in the world. Gave it the credibility. That was the one that made me want to see it. Other than the whole Batman premise it was like, Oh my God, Jack Nicholson's in this. Um, there, what's interesting is there were other movies that summer. This is actually a great summer. We can go through it later, but my friends and I were just as excited for the Indiana Jones movie. Oh yeah. It just didn't have the same hype machine. It didn't have this nine month, fervor leading up to it, but I, I was probably more excited for the Indiana Jones movie. But Batman unlocked this recipe that, um, you know, unfortunately, for better and worse, became became what we we're doing. They sold, Sean, $750 million worth of merchandise sold off this movie. Back to the Future, I think, was the third one was leveraging some of this, too where they, they had a lot of cross-promotion. But this one, they had the MTV Steal the Batmobile contest. That was big. Like, MTV was still going. Um, they Sylvester Stallone had an interesting quote. He said it was the beginning of a new era. The visuals took over. The special effects became more important than the single person. I wish I had thought of Velcro muscles myself. I didn't have to go to the gym all those years, all those hours. <laughs> what are the Iron Game, as we call it? Sean, do you think this killed action movies eventually? Like this is where it shifts from the Stallone Schwarzenegger era and starts shifting to comic books. I think that's a convenient excuse for Sylvester Stallone to account for why he was not at the center <laughs> yeah, of Hollywood like anymore. The, right. <laughs> Bruce Willis is not exactly a muscle laden, you know, yeah, like, true, like meathead. He's he's like basically a balding taxi driver who becomes like the coolest guy in the world after Die Hard. I, I think it's notable that. Batman is the character that emerges out of the late 80s and into the 90s. And it, that Superman is at the end of the 70s and coming into the 80s and the sort of, you know, on a shining hill, Ronald Reagan moment and this a sense of like morality and decency being promoted constantly in our culture. And then, you know, as we get into the 90s, which are a little, there's a little bit more dirt under our fingernails as a culture. And, you know, we see like the presidential administration changes and Batman comes in and Batman is a vigilante. He's somebody who doesn't play by the rules. He's somebody who lives at night. He's somebody who does what he wants with his with his power. Um, and what he wants is theoretically moral and about integrity. But Batman is also a psychopath. I mean, he's like a crazy character. He's he's yeah. the, the whole conception of it. And even in the Burton movie, you know, Burton always makes movies about outsiders and people who are sort of like trying to figure out how to fit in. But we know that it'll never happen. But Batman in particular, like it's kind of extraordinary that he's become really like one of the central 
cr- like creations of the 20th century. He really like courses throughout our popular culture for, like you said, Bill, going back to the 60s TV show. I mean, 60 plus years now, because this is like a psychotic billionaire who dresses up at night and beats the shit out of people. And that's just so fascinating. Why do kids love that? Why do 20-somethings love that? Why did 58-year-old men line up to go see the Batman over the weekend? It's a inter- really interesting question. I remember being disappointed that Robin wasn't in it. Because my version of Bat, I wasn't a comic book guy, so I really was the TV show for me, and it was always Batman and Robin. Yeah, and they were a team, and they were together, and uh, just never happened. So, I'm going to read you a list. These are releases week by week, May 19th through July 24th, 1989. Week by week, Roadhouse, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Dead Poets Society, Star Trek Five. Ghostbusters 2, Batman and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, same weekend. Wow. Do the Right Thing and Karate Kid 3, same weekend. Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Karate Kid 3. Karate Kid 3 and Do the Right Thing <laughs> is an movie. insane yeah. double feature. Neck and neck in the <laughs> AFI greatest films of all time. Race. I might have seen those same day. Weekend at Bernie's. Lethal Weapon 2. And then together, License to Kill and When Harry Met Sally. Better summer than I remembered. For big ass movies yeah. and movies that hit basically everything. The only thing that's not in there is horror. But mm-hmm. uh but it was a really fun time to like movies, to go to movies, to you know, the premiere magazine, which I was reading the Batman issue that they did about Keaton, but it was when they were really starting to write about movies at that point. I have a theory, Chris, let me know what you think of this, that the 80s die once and for all during the Prince montage when they're defacing the art in the Batman movie. <laughs> but that's the official end of the 80s. People are like, when did the 80s die? At, some people, at the Flugeheim Museum that they yeah, go to? Some people yeah. say the Berlin Wall. Like, like To me, it's like that moment where it's like the 80s are now over. We're using a Prince song to watch Jack Nicholson deface art while wearing Joker makeup. While like, he dances done. around we're in a purple to, suit. Yeah. yeah, we're moving to a new decade right now. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's one of the scenes that I wonder if they could take it back that they would like the idea that that is like in any way like terrifying or scary. But, you know, when you think about the people involved in that scene, it's Jack Nicholson and Prince writing music for Jack Nicholson to dance around to. I mean, that, that wouldn't like, I, there's no equivalent I can even think of for what that would be today. Like, I can't imagine the instruct. I wish there was video of Tim Burton instructing Nicholson what to do in the scene. So you're just going to dance and seem crazy. (laughs) And like, were they playing the Prince song as they were doing it? So this is the thing is I, I, maybe we can get into this now, but like the rewatching this movie, um, and I've seen it like a bunch over the years and I obviously saw it like multiple times in the theater when it came out. I forgot that this is the Joker movie. It's not a Batman movie. That's like, right. Yeah. Like it's basically, uh, you know, the Joker's origin. The Joker has the rise and fall. The Joker has the character arc. The Joker is the person who's putting everything into action. And when you watch it, uh, you can see the, like how wrong this would have gone if it wasn't somebody who actually was like, there are no boundaries for me. 
Like Nicholson is definitely like so entirely bought in on this, probably because he stood to make $90 million or whatever it was that he had like on the back end. But if it if 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 this has been a if this had been a character who would be or an actor who was like, I'm too cool for this, it never would have worked. If if they were if you had pulled back on like, for instance, dancing in the museum, I don't know if it would have been as as memorable. Or when they're in the porn theater and he pulls out the dildo. Oh I know. no, I'm bad. There's actually I'm not. Sorry. There are a few callbacks. And now that I know, it's like The Departed calls back to this movie a couple of times. I had the same thought, Chris. It, <laughs> but like, this is it's who else would play this character but him? There, uh, it's a great casting. What ifs? And and, and I'm sure you have an yeah. incredible list, Bill. But. Jack Nicholson made his name on characters having absolute meltdowns, yeah. you know, from Easy Rider all the way through The Witches of Eastwick right up until this moment. His best scenes in The Shining, in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, in uh, King of Marvin Gardens, even where he's playing against hype, him losing his, blowing his top is what people showed up for, you know? It was like going to watch somebody score 50 points in a basketball game. You're like, you went to go see him do his Jack Nicholson thing. So he was so perfect for this and not surprising at all that he was so game to go way over the top because I, I, and I think whether it's too over the top is an interesting conversation, right? Because he has like, he eats the movie alive in so many ways. I was thinking, watch, I hadn't seen in a couple of years, how close this performance is to Jack Torrance in the shining the last hour of the movie. Basically the same guy. He's just wearing makeup. But, you know, as as he's kind of losing it and as he's walking around the overlook looking for Danny and <laughs> <laughs> when when his wife interrupts him when he's on the typewriter, it's really not I, I don't really think he's playing a different person. I'm not going to hurt point. you. I'm just going to yeah. bash your brains in. <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you. Um, but so much okay. of what the what's memorable about that part and, 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 and a lot of what's memorable about this movie feels like it basically comes straight from Nicholson, whether it's improvised or whether it's just like he is a unique, singular talent and singular personality. And it just like emanates through this whole thing. Well, he made $11 million for doing this. I think he made a lot more, right? Like way was, more, yeah. which we're going to get into. But it was an eleven million dollar salary, which everybody thought was a big deal. But then it turned out it was actually not eleven million; it was like six million, and he got all this percentage that his biographer estimated he might have made like ninety million bucks from this yeah. movie. Leading up to it, so this is from eighty three on. Terms of endearment, huge part, incredibly successful movie. Pritzi's honor, heartburn, which is at Eastwick, Scott. The extended fun came in on broadcast news and Ironweed. I wouldn't say like he was on fire, but he was still one of the biggest stars in the world. I think you could argue this might have been his most important performance from a legacy standpoint. Because the Oscars, all that stuff, I'm saying from a pop culture standpoint, I think this is the first movie a lot of people would think of with him. I mean, they wouldn't for the three of us. but. This was his crossover movie in a way that what was if it wasn't this as a crossover movie, what would you pick, Sean? Well, I, he had he was in movies in the seventies that were big hits. I think that the tricky part about that is that the Heath Ledger performance kind of I don't want to say it negated it, but it mm. pretty it immediately went to the top of the heap in terms of the portrayal of this character of a Batman villain. Yeah. And like up until that point, I think you're right because obviously it's it's so iconic and he's so memorable in, in that part. But you know when you when you read the obituary, 
you know, they'll 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 kick no, off. They're like, going to talk one Chinatown, the cuckoo's all that. Yeah, I Chinatown, you know. Yeah. But but I mean, in terms of making him like a megastar, this movie made two hundred and fifty million dollars in nineteen eighty nine. That did not happen. This had the biggest opening weekend of any movie in the history of movies when it first came out, and Batman Returns had the biggest you know opening after that. So like it it became the signature franchise in major entertainment for a long, long time. So as far as like making him significantly more famous, it definitely did. But by this point, he's also, he's an Oscar winner and he's nominated like 10 times at this point. He just spent the eighties figuring out that it was like how to become a, a great role player. You know, he's, he's more mm. interested in taking parts like terms of endearment part. He's only yeah. in like 40 minutes of that movie. But he's so magnetic. Broadcast Newsies in like, thing. like a five-minute thing. Bill, you said like this is the end of the 80s. In a lot of ways, though, I think this is like Jack Nicholson getting courtside seats for pop culture. Like, yeah. after this, you know, he's been sitting courtside for Showtime Lakers. He's an icon in that regard. This is like, I don't know if it's the start or the middle or the, the end or whatever, but like now he's in the first row at the Oscars. He's the person everybody looks to. He's the person everybody jokes with. He becomes basically... Like, I don't know, the like the emeritus, like the, the professor of pop culture. You know what I mean? He's like the face of the most popular movie, the face of the most popular sports franchise, the face of the, the award ceremony that honors movies. He's basically on the one dollar bill. But also kind of yeah. the mascot, too. You know, mm -hmm. like it's all kind of a joke with him in a fun way. Sure. That's what makes him great. Yeah. The reason I brought up the pop culture thing was so you have Nicholson and you have Pacino and you have De Niro, right? As and probably Hoffman, but Hoffman had the ability a couple times to cross over with Kramer versus Kramer and Tootsie and whatever. And but what's funny about the other three, all of them in this window here take these pop culture parts in these movies where they're not even like De Niro's in The Untouchables, he's not even really in that movie that much. Pacino does Dick Tracy, which is a really tough watch, but. They all kind of felt like, all right, I've I've won all my I basically I've won my titles, but now I need to do something that's a little bit bigger. Like I want to impress my nephew. <laughs> you know, this is like an impress your nephew part crossed with how much money he made. Um, I think it's a weirdly important Nicholson part, you know, because it's the one pop culture part he had that I think people would kind of point to first, you know be like oh yeah that one whereas like De Niro it would be like meet the parents you mean for like somebody who's <laughs> under 30 somebody like my son my son's never gonna watch Chinatown my son's never you know his, <laughs> he should I, my it's son good, know him actually from The Shining you know I, I, it's you're not it's driving just, around being like Ben have you ever wondered how LA gets its water <laughs> <laughs> right well then Nicholson two years later does A Few Good Men which is another one right yeah. so he clearly like He's shifting his focus in some way from I'm just going to make the best possible movies to something else. That's a really good, good observation, though, about De Niro and Pacino and and Nicholson all taking on those parts because those guys had spent a long time being the center of their stories and the kind of the hero of their stories. And the villain is always the most fun part to play. And yep. all three of those parts are the villain parts. And it, all three of those guys kind of felt like they had been waiting to play villains for a long time. There's something kind of evil. And Nicholson played literally the devil in a movie a few years before that. And it still wasn't as evil as the Joker. Like the Joker yeah. seems actually more insane than the devil. What do you, but do you think there's a chicken and the egg thing there where it's like these, these guys know that last detail and straight time 
and Serpico aren't going to get made anymore, so they better get while the getting's good. Do you think they yeah, saw maybe. the, saw the, the writing on the wall moving that way. Yeah. I think they like money, too. Yeah. Yeah, the money piece. That That is like, there's a point in that, your career as like these A-plus list actors. It's weird because Daniel Day-Lewis, it never happened to him, where they kind of go, how much? And all of a sudden, they're in movies like this. Chris, do you think Nicholson should have been nominated? I'll give yeah. you Best Supporting Actor. Denzel wins for Glory. Danny Aiello, Do the Right Thing. Dan Aykroyd, Driving Miss Daisy. We take that one out. Uh, Marlon Brando, A Dry White Season. And then Martin Lando in Crimes and Misdemeanors. I mean, the question is, is it Best is Actor? Awesome. Is it Best Actor? He's top He's top build in this movie. And he has as much, if not more, screen time than Keaton. So what, would, what was Best Actor that year? Yeah, but they don't do it that way. He would have been Best Supporting. Best Actor, Dana Day-Lewis, One for My Left Foot. Branna for Henry V, Tom Cruise, Born the Fourth of July, Morgan Freeman, Driving Miss Daisy, and Robin Williams, Dead Poets Society. Good, good list. That's a good year. list. Yeah, I believe he was actually nominated for Best Actor at the Golden Globes. Was he really Nicholson? I think so. Yeah, let me double check that. Feels like the Oscars. I, he should have been in one of the categories. It was such a unbelievable performance to see in the theater. The like he's just really going for it the whole time. Yeah, they have this listed as a comedy or a musical, but Best Performance in a Motion Picture Actor, Nicholson, was nominated. Wow. Um, we'll take a break, quick break. A couple other things to talk about. This episode is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. You can do it all right in the USAA app. And replacement cost coverage comes standard. That means damaged items are repaired or replaced even if they cost more today than they did when you bought them. Which could put your wallet at ease too, by the way. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, your phone bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month. That's like, you can subscribe to two movie channels for that. I mean, what a great deal. Also, super easy to switch plans. Everyone gets so intimidated by, oh my God, I don't know if I should switch my plan. It's not that hard. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's us. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for a first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, so Tim Burton, he goes in and this has this weird history that they're trying to make this for a decade. And the guy who ran Warner, um, Mark Canton, they talked to Tim Burton about it. And Tim Burton was like, let's go, let's go much darker. Let's, let's talk about moral decay. And this guy who, um, this is a story, not about the guy wearing the cape. It's about how fucked up Bruce Wayne is. And somehow this gets greenlit. And they go and they're off. This movie, rewatching it, 
way darker. I mean, literally darker. It's it's like uh, yeah. actually hard to see in some spots. It's weird to think that this made so much money, but um, way darker and more sinister. We're used to that now in 2022. Everybody loves anti-heroes and going dark. And in a lot of ways, this movie set the template. But Chris, were you surprised re-watching this, how kind of not fun it is in certain parts? Yes and no. I mean, actually, actually, after watching a three hour The Batman, like that's like where it's raining constantly and it's closer yeah. to seven than it is to the Batman TV show. Batman, the 1989 movie seemed pretty light in comparison. And it's got all these like art deco flourishes and kind of like very much feels like a soundstage movie in certain places, although one of like a remarkable piece of set design. Um, but I thought it was poppier than I remembered, you know, and 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 a little bit more brighter. Obviously, all the stuff like with Bruce is pretty dark, but I, you know, the amount of color that they have in this movie with the purple and the mm. when Joker turns in when Jack turns into Joker and starts wearing the makeup and it's kind of goofy too. I mean, even I, I'm sure in 1989 I was absolutely scandalized by the the mob boss getting electrocuted and having a shrunken head, but. When you watch it now, it's like it's it's pretty quaint. What, what did you think, Sean? Um, I don't remember thinking it was darker or or less dark because I don't think I had a, much of a frame of reference the first time that I saw it. Being so young, I think I was just totally transported into the world. And this is probably when I got really obsessed with Tim Burton. I mean, I, I was really, 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 really into Tim Burton. Shawnee the, Scissorhands, they called the, you. The, the, the first six <laughs> movies, I think, are like as good as any filmmaker in the eighties is first run of movies and uh, the fact that he was like a pretty young guy when he took this on and helped create this world and you know he's like famously a dyslexic person and so the stories of his movies are not always the best parts but they always look amazing and um, I haven't loved a lot of the movies he's made in the last 15 years but Anton First who did the production design of this movie won an Academy Award for it like it looks it's it's incredible. I mean, there are aspects of it that look as good today as they did the day that it came out. And you can't really say that about especially superhero stuff. I mean, it tends to age like milk. So it's kind of amazing just the vision he had for the movie. And, you know, Batman is he's the Dark Knight. Like he th th this movie has to be dark and at night and it has to be um, it has to be kind of dour a little bit because of how dour the character is. But I'm, I, I, I Bill, I imagine it was like kind of shocking relative to everything that was out in the world at that time. Yeah, really felt unique. So did Die Hard, though. I mean, there was a, there's a lot of innovation going on in the late 80s with how movies look that I think, you know, Do the Right Thing was another one. Um, with Burton, you, you won't be shocked to know I wasn't as big of a fan of the, of the IMDb <laughs> of Beetlejuice and Pee-wee, yeah. yeah, right? I did like Beetlejuice, but, you know... It's, it's kind of hard not to like Beetlejuice. It's... It's not one I've watched 30 times, but I did like that one. That was probably my favorite. It's like a hardcore um, five-star movie. It's one of the most creative movies I've ever seen. I love that movie. It's really, and Keaton's, and it rejuvenated Keaton's Incredible career. Incredible cast too, yes. Yeah. yeah, Keaton was in a real slump, which was part of all the stories in the Premier Magazine. The whole feature about it is like Michael Keaton was kind of dead in the water from 84 to 87, hmm. had cleaned and sober and Beetlejuice and was able to resuscitate himself enough to get this part. But with Tim Burton, he's kind of between generations and I think it hurts him how people talk historically. He's not part of the kind of the Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson, that generation that comes up, but he's also not part of the Scorsese. What was his generation? Who else were, who else was in that? The up and coming guys from like the mid eighties. Cause we didn't really, I don't think of that as a generation, but I there mean, must've been other people. He's, 
he's not unlike some guys who became icons of sort of more of the indie movie scene like Jim Jarmusch because they came out of art school. And I think he would have been, you know, there's another track for him where he just kind of makes these smaller David Lynchian weird movies. And he just sort of hit right at the point where there seemed to be this openness to like trying different people with these bigger budget movies. Yeah. And then he winds up making Pee Wee, Beetlejuice and Batman. And then he basically writes his own check from there on out. Yeah. But I feel like he's like, um, he's still really a Hollywood craftsman, you know, like he's from LA, went to Caltech or Cal Arts rather. And he feels more like, um, even though he does have that like artist soul that Chris is talking about, you know, Robert Zemeckis and uh, and Richard Donner and even John Carpenter to some extent and mm. and and even John Hughes, you know, like those figures, those big 1980s kind of tentpole figures that were really into mainstream movie going. You know what I mean? Like the idea that like everyone should come out and see the story and there's something deeply relatable about everything, even in the weirdest stories. Pee Wee's Big Adventure is such a cracked debut. It's such a strange movie, and yet. Everybody that I knew growing up, we were like, Pee-wee's the greatest. He's the coolest. Like, the fact that he was able to communicate that to people and make these outsider figures so accessible is 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 really rare. Um, and, I, you know, John Hughes, like, it's kind of in the spirit of his work, too. You know, like, he's most interested in the losers in his stories, unless they're Ferris Bueller. So, I, it is a kind of director that we don't see as much anymore because of, in part, what Burton introduces here, I think, which is this, like mainstreamification of intellectual property which overtook the ability to tell weird personal stories in movies but i guess that's like the paradox of his and success the crazy thing is is that and this is no disrespect to anybody who winds up directing comic book movies now or superhero movies now but burton was like i don't really read comic books you know i'm pretty into this but like mm. with a reasonable amount of distance to, to like and and a grain of salt. Whereas now I think you have to be kind of like, it's been my dream in life to make a Batman movie. And I've been waiting my whole, this whole, all these years. Well, for some people it kind of probably became the sure dream is, in life. But I wonder whether yeah. or not it was like, if more filmmakers had like a little bit of a healthier cynicism about right. the enterprise, like, you know, you might get different kinds of movies if it wasn't like, I need to make sure I honor Harvey Dent, you know, and, I, what, and what that character means. Yeah, I think I like Sean's point about the pop culture generation where it's like Zemeckis, Hughes, Burton, Richard Donner. Um, I'd throw in, uh, why am I blanking on the guy who directed The Big Chill? Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan, yeah. Kasdan. Yeah. These people who when are we really doing good Lawrence filmmakers. Kas Lawrence Kasdan month? Oh my, I'm so, I, I'm so ready. Silverado, um, Silverado. Sean, oh, really? Sean's going to do a solo Grand Canyon pod. <laughs> <laughs> now out on Grand Canyon. <laughs> that is a tough movie. Um, yeah, these these filmmakers who actually really wanted to make movies that a lot of people saw. Which um, I think Burton probably shifts from that a little bit. I don't think he was making Ed Wood and going, "This thing's going to be a phenomenon." It's true, um, but. But in general, that was the 80s mentality of big, 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 make as much money as possible, get as many people as you possibly can. Um, he said he he saw Batman, the whole film and mythology of the character is a com complete duel of the freaks. Yeah. It's a fight between <laughs> two disturbed people. That's why he wanted to make it. We should mention produced by John Peters and Peter Goober. Streisand. Sand. <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, a lot of the research is just John Peters in rare form. Do you want to really? do 
uh, 10 minutes on how this movie leads to uh, Warrior's death lineup. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it might have. Peters is going all in. He's making money left and right. He's figuring out as many corporate tie-ins as he possibly can. He's shoehorning in prints. Uh, and print songs and a print soundtrack. He's building a cathedral at the end of the movie that Tim Burton doesn't even know about because, and he's spending a hundred thousand on that. He's just dropping the Batmobile. Um, again, this is the end of the eighties. This is, this is a fitting farewell. Anton first for art direction wins. Bob Ringwood for costume design. Sean, I don't know you want to give us some Bob Ringwood thoughts or I don't have a lot of deep text on him, but he <laughs> did he he didn't get nominated, did he? No, he did that. Which is kind of crazy because he freaking designed the bat suit. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That bat suit is awesome. Probably should have went. Danny Elfman for the score. Prince songs. Written by Sam, Sam Ham, who then uh writer strike had to bow out. And then they had uh people kind of changing the script. And I think he also probably also had a written by uh, Nicholson and Peters after a couple nights out in London. <laughs> right. <laughs> $48 million budget. Uh, it made a cool $411.6 million. Fastest film to $100 million. Our guy Raj. Two stars. Wow. R- Rare L. I don't know. I'm going to read you some Raj experts ex- excerpts from uh, Roger Ebert's review. The Gotham City created in Batman is one of the most distinctive and atmospheric places I've seen in the movies. It's a shame something more memorable doesn't happen there. Nicholson's Joker is really the most important character in the movie in impact and screen time. And Keaton's Batman and Bruce Wayne characters are so monosyllabic and impenetrable that we have to remind ourselves to cheer for them. This is a hostile, mean-spirited movie about ugly, evil people. And it doesn't generate the liberating euphoria of the Superman rated Jones pictures. It's classified PG-13, but it's not for kids. I wonder what he would have said about the Batman. You know, Raj really should have. That felt like a one and a half stars. I think he just probably bumped it to two because he liked the look of the movie, but he did not like. He didn't like the second one either. I mean, I think he missed the point. You know, the the point is the design and the psychology of the characters, and also nothing memorable happening. I would argue that a nighttime bicentennial parade in which gigantic balloons poison an entire city is pretty memorable. Just just my take. He Raj is a plot guy, as we, we talked about many times. The he does plot love story. He loves story. Kind of comes and goes in this one. All right. Uh, most rewatchable scene. First scene, the introduction. I'm Batman. Don't kill me, man. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Good stuff. Good one. Good stuff. Enjoyed it. Keaton wrote that line, right? That's what they say? Yeah. Knox and Vicky go into Bruce Wayne's office. Nice talking with you, Wayne. They're rich. You know why they're so odd? Because they can afford to be. I mean, look at this mirror. Maybe it should be Bruce Wayne. (laughs) Solid. Batman foils Joker and the gang the first time. Good stuff. Some, Some disappears, comes back. Falling into the vat, all that stuff. We meet the Joker. Yeah. What do they get a load of me? Where do they get a load of me? That became the famous line from this movie. 
You know, the, don't you think the most famous line is never, never mess with another man's rhubarb? <laughs> never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> never rub rhubarb. another man's rhubarb. <laughs> I know what my, my most famous line is, but we'll, we'll get to that scene, I imagine. We see the Batmobile for the first time. That whole scene, Vicky's taking pictures. Batman's beating everyone up. Just great stuff. Driving into the Batcave, I think is my favorite part of the movie. It's so fucking weird. Vicky thinks she's being taken to just be murdered. And just the way they <laughs> filmed that with the 1989 things they had on hand, pretty impressive. It's a really, really cool scene how they do it and going through the cave, all that stuff. The uh, flashback reveal that the Joker killed Bruce's parents is really well done. What else do you guys have? I got I got a couple of things here. Yeah. I really liked uh, this time around, especially. I I really liked the newscasts and the 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 Smilex ad. Love that mm. Joker. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I mean, I would also say, yeah. I mean, just the the, the parade and the gas. The par- the parade is is pretty amazing. It's like a pretty incredible sequence. It's 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 also completely batshit but like I really really like how much they're going for it and in a lot of ways the movie kind of climaxes there which when you know that they kind of added on the cathedral scene makes sense you know yeah I feel like the three big scenes with Vicky and the Joker you know the sort of the date when he arrives at the museum at, yeah um, at the museum and then the the sort of showdown between Bruce and the Joker yeah. with Vicky where, you know you want to get nuts let's get nuts and then the bell tower the bell tower is like for when I when I saw this movie and the way that this movie ended, like the incredibly violent and weird Joker fall and then smashed into the ground and then the the laughing machine inside of him. I was traumatized by that. I was like, this is this is tremendously upsetting. And I no one they shouldn't have taken me to see this movie. So, um, yeah. Your parents should listen to Roger Ebert. <laughs> well, they I mean they did on many occasions, but unfortunately they didn't on that one. I didn't have the guts to put the bell tower scene in most rewatchable it's really long it's inexplicable i don't know why they're in a cathedral i don't know why it's so big why do we have a 38 story cathedral (laughs) and i still don't understand how nicholson goes over but somehow not only doesn't fall to his death but is able to just immediately grab them and flip them that whole thing is like the geometry of it makes no sense that was my huge picking net is like when he grabs yeah. their legs and pulls them over it's in, it's it's very strange like how, how did he just not fall to his death all of that uh is pretty weird um i would say most rewatchable scene for me is probably driving into the back cave yeah what do you have Sean i love the the party man scene you know, okay. they're coming in and de- he's dancing and defacing all of the art. I just think is like amazing, burned into my memory. What stage the best? Keaton decided to do Batman's voice at a lower level than Bruce Wayne. Really smart. Everyone stole from that. I just wrote down Kim Basinger is fucking hot. <laughs> I just wrote that one down in my notes. It's a great looking lady. Quite a specimen. Great job by her. Can't. Can't really speak about her acting as much, but just really attractive. She's an looking, Oscar award winner. I get it. Uh, that the, the whole framing of Vicky Vale is really weird in this movie. Where yeah, I have like, that. In what stage the worst? Okay. What stage the best? Jack Torrance says the Joker. Love it. Probably my favorite thing about this movie. I love the Batcave. And then uh, just this for what stage the best. During production, Peters read in the Wall Street Journal that comic book fans were upset with the Keaton casting. So he rushed a film trailer 
that played in every it's, theater basically during Christmas. Yeah. You can yeah. still see it on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. And uh, it's a whole bunch of scenes. And I remember seeing this. I think I was seeing Die Hard because wasn't it the previous Christmas? It was, they, they was 88 when this came out. Yeah. I want to say I have Die Hard and they showed this and everybody was like, holy shit. That yeah, it was getting like standing amazing. ovations and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but that was just really smart. The uh, For what's age the best, just the Nicholson and what this, the exclamation point of, uh, you know, from a pop culture standpoint in his career, I would have as well. What else do you guys have for what's age the best? Anything? I mean, making a movie about Batman. (laughs) 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 There've been a lot of them since this one. So that was pretty Mm. smart. Uh, I mean, I think Tim Burton too, taking a chance on him at at this stage was smart. Hmm. Yeah, I would say Nicholson and I would say the relative la- lack of angst in this movie compared to the Batman movies that would come after it. And mm. and how even though Bruce Wayne is like my parents and I'm trying to figure out who I am and the duality of my character, it's so much less weighed down than the the bat the Batman characters that would come in, you know, in the Nolan movies, in the Snyder movies, and in the Reeves movie. I had Bruce's uh office too when they Vicky Vale and um Robert Wool's character he's got going all the, to his office. He's when got are you all the start weird things. Getting into armor. Should I? Do you have? Yeah. Do you not have a, a chivalric display room in one of your homes? You don't have like <laughs> the, a giant, like a room full of like warrior the new house. I'm gonna work on it. <laughs> What's age the worst? Special effects. Some of the stuff is bad. Like when he's flying in the bat plane. It's really feels like 1989. There's a couple. Oh my god, we're in 1989 moments <laughs> with some of this stuff. I think the movie's too actually too dark. I get that it has to be dark, too but dark, it's actually like hard to see. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's actually literally hard to see certain things. Wait till the you see Keaton. the Batman. <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking dark. <laughs> the Keaton uh, Basinger scenes are pretty rough. You think so? Yeah, I don't love them. But you guys disagree? I think they have some chemistry. Yeah. Sean? I just think they do a good job of communicating that the Joker is a psycho and that he's like really crude and want is like it seems like he just wants to jump her bones, you know. I don't whether they're like clicking with the the chemistry. You mean, of a you thousand mean Nicholson and Basinger? Or no, I meant Keaton. Keaton. Oh, Keaton, Keaton and Basinger. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's okay. I mean, like to Chris's point about the Batman in future iterations, Keaton's Batman is not psychological. He's not traumatized. He's just a weird guy. And yeah. so, and, and like, obviously that's kind of Keaton's stock and trade for a long time is he has this kind of off-kilter delivery and he's funny, but he's a little bit awkward, but he's somehow really charismatic. It's a really, it, it's part of what makes an inspired choice. But when you're seeing him have like a burgeoning romance with a woman, you're like, why does she like him aside from the fact that he's a billionaire? Like he's an odd dude. You know, yeah. the, the, the dinner scene when they're at the long table together and he's like, I don't know if I've ever been in this room and she laughs yeah. and it's like if someone had said that to you at dinner you'd be like are you crazy <laughs> right <laughs> the whole movie is a little bit uh unnerving I would say well he basically has a tech billionaire like the modern tech billionaire's personality right he's basically Mark Zuckerberg but we he don't looks know. like Steve Jobs he has the black yeah. turtleneck he's, yeah you know, the glasses you know the reason I mentioned the chemistry is because in bat in the second Batman him and Michelle Pfeiffer have an unbelievable chemistry yeah they do so he has it in there. He has it in him. I just, I felt like he didn't click. The uh, 
the crazy buzz from the Keaton casting is age the worst, just because it's hard to explain to people what a big deal this was that they cast Michael Keaton as Batman. How weird that was for people that it was the guy from Night Shift and Gung Ho was suddenly going to be Batman. And they cast and, but, him off of Clean and Sober. Yeah. But it got a lot of press publicity attention for the movie. Like Michael Keaton's Batman. It is. I was reading a little bit about the re, the reaction it got. And there was something about like all the letters that, that there was like 50,000 right. letters decrying his casting. And, I, and, and they were talking about like, do you have to imagine what it was like in 1988 or whatever, whenever somebody found out about this to be like, I'm so upset about the casting of a movie that I will write a letter. Right. <laughs> like, it's not like I'm just going to fire off a tweet. That's like our Pat's lol. Don't like it. It's like, you <laughs> right. actually have to be like, dear John Peters. <laughs> right. I, I, I kind of liked it more back then. You had to put more effort into sure. hating on somebody. Yeah. Now it's like, I mean, can you imagine now in the Twitter? Jesus. The Prince soundtrack is, I think age the worst. I, in relation I to Prince, it being part of Batman or just the songs in general? Yeah, I don't think the Prince fans are like, what are you listening to today? Ah, the Batman soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair point. I do really like the songs that feature prominently in the movie. Yeah, Trust I, and Party Trust Man are Trust and dope. Party Man are really good okay. Prince songs, in my opinion. Newspapers, the importance of the Gotham Globe has aged the worst because... You know, newspapers have now gone digital. <laughs> Just newspapers? Yeah, newspapers. What do you think? Do you think that The Athletic would have come in and kind of like... <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> Gotham the Globe? Be, yeah. Hired yeah. the best three Gotham guys? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, that does raise like an interesting question about the movie, which is it, it seems like it is simultaneously set in 1989 and 1948. Yeah. And I, I can't really... Like everyone is dressed in a suit and a trench coat at all times. I don't know what... City or year we're in. This is you always the thing with Gotham, though, where it's yeah, like, Gotham's this is Chicago, timeless. Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, New York, and London all at once. Isn't Gotham supposed... I feel like in the comic books, Gotham is like between New York and New Jersey somehow. It's n it's neither yeah. of those anyway. Keaton's hair is aged the worst. It's right in like uh, when he's in that regeneration stage, but... um I don't, there's a couple where it just looks like he's wearing a wig a couple times. I don't yeah. know what's going on. With he that. needed the TB12 method. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> they had to get Guerrero on the set. Alex Guerrero was stretch on there. him out, man. Let's go have a smoothie. <laughs> Here's what Tim Burton said about the uh, Prince songs. It was completely lost me, and it tainted something that I didn't want to taint, which is how you feel about an artist. And actually, I liked his album. I wish I could listen to it without the feel of what had happened. He was traumatized that they crammed the Prince songs into the actual movie. That's so funny. I don't I don't feel like they don't stick out that much. I feel like it's kind of the Joker kind of needs like theme songs. You know, he's such a ridiculous character. I don't that's that's interesting. Some of the casting. Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent. Well, this like, is controversial what? because they they kind of screwed our guy Billy down the road a little bit. He's so wasted. Yeah. Morgan Freeman was right there. Is my, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Morgan Freeman was right there to be Harvey Dent. It would have been great. They could have brought him back for the next one. But would Morgan Freeman needed, have been a good Two-Face though? I feel like he wouldn't. I feel like Billy D would have been a good Two-Face because yeah. he seems a little nuts. Does he? I don't. I, was Billy D. Williams a good actor? Or what am I missing? Lando? What? Come on, Lando he betraying was, I, Han. He was likable, but what, was he actually like a high level actor? 
He's not as good an actor as Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is two faces. That's a that's that's a stretch. I'm not sure I see that. Morgan Freeman was a pimp in Street Smart the that's same true. year. That's true. But I think he could have done it. The whole thing is like Billy D signed up for this movie thinking there would be a bigger part down right. the road, right? And they then boned they, him and over. And then they boned yeah. him and got Tommy Lee. Lee in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Billy D. Williams was really famous, I guess, in the late 80s. All right. I recant. Tommy Lee. I don't, like, I don't care. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. I would do that one over again. William Hootkins as the lieutenant. I don't know where that, the fat guy, I don't know where the fuck that guy came from. Oh, he's great. That's the the chubby uh, fighter pilot from Star Wars. He's great. But the worst one, Robert Wool as Knox. This movie has so much Robert Wool. I have that as, like, just a what's age the worst with seven asterisks, exclamation point, bold italics. Lay it out. I can't believe he's in this movie. Lay it out for us. Like, how did this, how did Robert Wool get to be Robert Wool? Bull Durham. He, he's he's a, good. He's a comedian, right? Like, he's a stand-up yeah. comedian. Bull Durham, he's good. Good Robert Wool part. I think we were good at that point with Robert Wool. I don't think we needed him in anything else at he that sh- point. He should have jumped off a building? To, what do you mean we were good with him? Uh, maybe <laughs> just do some, some local plays in, like, Tampa. <laughs> Um, instead, he's in Batman, and he's in too much of Batman. And he's in a lot of leads Batman. To yes. He's he's in so many scenes, and it's like God. It's, it's unfortunate. Rough. It's 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 really the most unfortunate part of the movie. I was thinking, like, even if like you had Robin Williams as Knox. Now, Robin Williams, is a giant star, probably wouldn't have taken it because it was a lower role, but. Like just overshoot with the Knox part because he's actually yeah. in like eight nine scenes. Get somebody awesome, Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> well, I, was, I had this for reca- <laughs> I had this for recasting couch, but just Phil Hartman. Just give me oh, Phil Hartman. He's yeah. right there. Great. He's been on SNL yeah. three years. Bill, this is why you're the best, man. What, what about what about Robert Redford though? <laughs> <laughs> Only if he does. Uh, casting what ifs? Actually, let's take a break because there's some good casting what ifs. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Vital Farms keeping it bull free. We always wanted our kids as they were growing up to have stuff that came from the right places. Vital Farms is perfect for this. Here's how good Vital Farms is. You can go to vitalfarms.com slash farm and you can get a 360 degree peek at the actual farm where your eggs came from. Uh, It's a certified B corporation. They are devoted to improving the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food, Great taste. You can do fried, poached, scrambled. Vital Farms bet you can taste the difference. Food simply tastes better when you know where it came from. Shop the farm that's a certified B corporation and gives their hens the lifestyle they deserve. Vital Farms. Look for the black Vital Farms carton in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. All right, casting what ifs. I would say this movie had as many casting what ifs as any movie we've done. This is the 226th edition of the It's up there with Godfather for sure. I don't even, I mean, every star was considered for Batman basically from the 80s Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, Bill Murray, Harrison Ford, Dennis Conquest. I don't even know what's real and not real. I, it sounds it's, like Pierce Brosnan was, was the guy who was, who, caught Burton's eye and they at least met about it and Brosnan was like, I'm not playing a fucking So the Brosnan one, yeah, there seems like multiple reports that they at least met. He didn't want to be a comic book guy. A bunch of people were excited about Bill Murray as Batman in the early 80s when during the iterations of that, which really would have been weird. And that was Ivan Reitman was going to direct, right? No way. I'm so glad that didn't happen. 
Peters was saying in the Premier magazine that I read from 89 that that was who he was excited about for years was Bill Murray. I and then um, I love Bill Murray and I love Bill Murray and Ivan Reitman together and I would have not enjoyed that. And then there was like Eddie Murphy was going to be Robin. I that's where I don't believe stuff where you're just like all right this is I it's funny. Oh, I'm so glad I I thought of this. I saw Damon Wayans in uh in where I live because he was eating with a friend of mine. So I'd met him and I talked to him and I was like, Hey, I got to This is going to be weird, but we just did a, we did this podcast, the rewatchables and we just did this. The last boy scout was he, was Damon Wayans. Like I love fucked up family February. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like, Rachel getting married was awesome. I was like, Oh, you heard it. Um, but I was like, so we did the last boy scout and in the research, it was about, there's a lot of stuff about how you and Bruce Willis hated each other. And he's like, not true. Like made a face. Was like, not true at all. We loved each other. Um, I had barely done anything. And Bruce was like my hero. Like all, he was my mentor the whole movie. And so I, I don't know where that came from or why that is out there. But I love Bruce Willis. So that's why we call this half-assed internet research. And when we do casting with ifs, we never know if the stuff's true or not. Because he was adamant, I love Bruce Willis. Which makes sense because Bruce Willis seems like a fun guy, especially back then. That's incredible. Damon Wayans was like, that's fake news. You need to delete that pod. Was he like, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to the pod. I'll check that out. <laughs> no, he said he was going to listen to Rachel getting married, though. Um, <laughs> Jack Nicholson was the studio's top choice for the Joker since 1980. Yeah. He was just in in every uh, thing. There's some Willem Dafoe buzz. Willem Dafoe said in 2009, he was in talks for the Joker. The Nicholson did it. Then there's all the stuff about Robin Williams. This is that, really interesting, though. So, like, they, they can you like go ahead and do it. But I, I thought this was one of the more compelling, like, '80s fucking Game of Thrones backstage magic things going on. It was really kind of quite a story. So I think this is real. That they couldn't get Nicholson to commit. They offered Robin Williams the role, and they might have offered it because this was their way to lock Nicholson in. If they're like, oh, we're gonna do it with Robin Williams, we're gonna do it. He's gonna. So anyway, Williams took it. Then Nicholson was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. They released Williams from his contract and Williams was pissed and refused to do any Warner Brother movies and refused to play the Riddler in Batman Forever until he got some apology. The apology part is where it gets weird because I think this is Hollywood. and But I do think there's probably some truth to that. What do you think of that, Sean? It's really interesting because it's a great sliding doors moment. Because the, so you already mentioned that the biggest movie of the year was Batman. The number two movie was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like you mentioned, the third biggest movie of the year in America was Dead Poets Society. First of all, just take a quick second. Dead Poets Society was the third biggest movie of 1989. (laughs) That's pretty wild. And that movie was released, I believe, two weeks before Batman. And so, you know, who is the star of Dead Poets Society if Robin Williams is, is the Joker? What is that movie? You know what that made me think of? Neil! <laughs> my son! Neil! Imagine Jack Nicholson in Dead Poet Society, but yeah. Robin Williams in Batman saying, Flipping. he stole my balloons! <laughs> <laughs> Is that your favorite line in this that's movie? That's by far my favorite line in the movie. Love that line. Uh, uh, but that's that, that'd be weird. Both movies are worse, but I'm here for Jack Nicholson in Dead Poet Society. <laughs> As Mr. Keating, I think would have been uh, would have been crazy. So anyway, tear out the pa- front page of your books. <laughs> <laughs>
if you want to be in the play, be in the play. <laughs> um, so Nicholson, this is my favorite. This is where the pod really just pays off. Sometimes you find nuggets and you're just like, this is just the fucking best. Yeah. Nicholson's like, I'll do the Joker. I have some conditions. Yeah. I get top, top billing in the poster. Fuck the guys playing Batman. I'm on the top. <laughs> I'm going to get some of the earnings of the movie, including the merchandise. You're going to give me some of that. We'll figure that out. I'm going to have an off-the-clock shooting schedule agreement. You're going to tell me how many hours I have to work each day. I am not working any Laker home game. If there's a Laker home game, playoff game, I'm off that day, and you'll fly me back and forth. Um, and he reduced his fee from 10, from 11 to six, but again, it might've made 90 million, but most importantly, never missed a Laker playoff game as this was being filmed. This is actually exactly the deal that CR now negotiates before every rewatchables <laughs> as the it's Sixers true. prepare to run to the playoffs. It's really it's exciting. Like, it's like, I get to go to every Sixers playoff game, <laughs> all of the Liverpool, if we're in Champions League, right. I'm off that day. <laughs> So yeah, so Nicholson and Rich, they were so- Rich is awaiting your response, Bill. We haven't gotten one yet. <laughs> yeah, Chris is the agent, Chris, uh, Rich Paul. Clutch CR! <laughs> Martin Landau turned down Carl Grissom. Oh. For, for crimes and misdemeanors. The, the sliding doors are flying back and forth here. Do you think Jack Palance was up for crimes and misdemeanors <laughs> if Landau had gone? <laughs> that would have been bad. Curly? Yeah. The Sean Young stuff. So cast as Vicky Vale, horse riding accident, Burker Cobbone, Kim Basinger stepped in. But then Bob Will comes, I'm going to call him Bob Will from now on. Bob Will comes in in a Hollywood Reporter piece for like the 30th anniversary and was like, no, no, that's not actually what happened. She sabot they reca they rewrote the script. She sabotaged her read through, did monotone, and they wanted to get her the F out. And that's why Kim Basinger came in. Who knows? Um, she and basically then, like they wrote they there was less like she had less lines in this new draft and as they were doing a read through in front of like all the Warner's brass and Peters, Sean Young basically tanks the read through, and then I don't know wrote, if I believe this. This is Bob Wool, you know. Also, Vicky Vale's in like a ton of the movie, so it ju it just doesn't add up. Well, it also sounds like in addition to everything else, Basinger was like also writing scenes for herself in the, during the movie. Well, there's also this famous story about Sean Young. After she didn't get this part, she does this insane audition for a Catwoman in 91 for Batman Returns where she like dresses up in the whole costume and tries to convince Tim Burton to do it. And they're like, we're all set here. Thanks. And then cut to Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And that's where Sean Young's career goes. So, you know, it's a tough beat for Sean Young. Because in the also 80s... Also written out of Wall Street, right? She yeah. was going to be a way bigger part of Wall Street. Listen, she still has no way out, which is a fucking classic. Um, well, Bob Wool also mm. says Peters wanted Michelle Pfeiffer for that part and Keith blocked it because they had dated before. Bob Wool says, quote, at the time, Michael told me he was trying to get back with his ex-wife. Keaton was firmly and underlined firmly against that casting of Pfeiffer and he and Peters got into it. All sounds great, but then she's in the second Batman. So who knows? I, I don't know if Bob Wool might not be a reliable narrator. And then my favorite casting would have Adam West, who played the original Batman, was really disappointed that he wasn't asked to reprise the role and was out there publicly, like being like, I got boned over. Anyone agree? And people were like, we're good, Adam. <laughs> Adam West, we're good. 
Poor guy. We're good. Did not get boned over. Bill, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna try to confirm all this stuff as I start on the 100 episode re Arliss that I've been taping with Robert Wool, which is uh, where we go back. Every episode is about two and a half hours, but we rewatch each episode and talk about you know just how sports agents have changed and how the world of sports is still so crazy and these athletes. They, their demands are out of this world. You can't believe it. The re-artless. So tune in Ringer Podcast Network. Very proud of that show. <laughs> Th- thanks for that. The re-artless <laughs> is the soundtrack to hell. <laughs> and so I, sh- I shared Clipper season tickets with my buddy Mike Tolan, who is one of the creators of Arliss. And I've been making fun of him about Arliss for the entire time we've had, we've been friends. I'm sure he's like, that's why I have fucking Clipper season tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I made like, Arliss. <laughs> he's like, keep the jokes coming. We got seven years. But then Bill um, can say, I have Clippers tickets because I made fun of Arliss. You know, like right. they, yeah, it was a beautiful all, synchronicity. All around. Best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award, this the is clear easy. winner. Bob Tr- the Goon, a.k.a. Tracy, Tracy Walter. Walter. Oh, yeah. Nicholson um, bo- like negotiated to have him in the cast. I think he's great. It was he's, his buddy from like the 70s and so like when they made Going South. Got an iconic role in Repo Man, which mm. is my favorite Tracy Walter performance. But I have to say, not a very intimidating gangster, but I will get to this in, in Picking Nits. Yeah, they grew his hair out to make him seem scarier, I guess. But I just love that Jack had so much juice... This was one of the 19 things he negotiated. It was like, and Tracy Walter has to be Bob the Goon. I wonder what, what they said no to. You know, what, what did Jack? they say no to for Nicholson? If they were like, yeah, Tracy Walter could have the sixth biggest part in Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is the sixth biggest part. I know. Sean's like, I'll do the ringer, but CR has to come. <laughs> CR has to be with me. You I, are my, side. my number one guy. <laughs> <laughs> the Vincent Hand and Give Me All You Got a Word. I mean, Nicholson has moments. The Prince song is a Vincent Hanna candidate. But <laughs> Keaton, Craig's going to play the clip because I'm going to mail it to him. But Keaton, when he flips out, when the showdown with the Joker, now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. That's so much loud, like crazier than he actually does it. Then he had a... Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. I think I'm... I'm, I'm, I I wanted to say that also Palance's death in this movie, like his dying from getting shot, where he's like... "Ah! Ah! Is like, that's how they like, when they make fun of like bang, bang, you're dead and guys do the dramatic rolling around. Like that's Palance is the platonic ideal for that. Palance is bad in this movie. He's indescribable in Tango and Cash and somehow parlays both of it into an Oscar for uh, City Slickers, which he never should have won. Incredible amount of Palance on the rewatchables lately. Yeah. I I don't think I saw this coming. It's a Palance sense. Deion Waiters Award. It's fun to see Jerry Hall. Wow. Interesting. Look great. Always thought she was underrated. You know, there's a lot of love for Michael Goff as Alfred. He's one of the oh. o- one of the only constants of the four Batman movies as they yeah. changed Batman's twice. Let's give, let's give him. That's a good and one. He's really good. Recasting couch. Um, literally any other actor. We than already Robert we Will. already have Daniel Day yeah. Lewis as as Knox. Who did I say for Robert Wool? Oh, Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. And then Morgan Freeman is Two Face. Or is Harvey Dent? 
half ass internet research, the Batman suit costs two fifty k. The thirty eight foot cathedral cost a hundred k. It was shot in England at the Pinewood Studios because they didn't want any photos of Nicholson as the Joker. A lot of secrecy back then. I know Sean has some thoughts about the Pinewood Studios, one of your favorites. An incredibly legendary place. A lot of Star Wars shot there. Tons of great movies shot there. Didn't they shoot Full Metal Jacket there when they were like, yep, this is Vietnam? Yep. (laughs) There's some fun palette stuff. They apparently had a hearing problem. Burton cut one of his takes because... Um, Pounce didn't show up on cue. And then they kind of got into it and uh and Pounce got mad because I think he didn't realize Tim Burton didn't realize he couldn't hear. And he said, I've made more than a hundred films. How many have you made? And Burton said years later, uh, it was a blackout experience he'd never forget. Um, and he was scarred by it. Jack Pounce seems like go. a good hang. Jack Pounce. Chris, you'll appreciate this. It took two hours for the makeup artist to change Nicholson and the Joker. And you know the how crew. I, I love tales of of long makeup chair <laughs> stints. Michael Keaton claims they tape basketball games for Nicholson to watch. This is pre-league pass. Yeah. So they'd actually have VHS basketball games that he would watch as the makeup was, uh, was happening. Uh, number of dead bodies in this movie, 56. Oh, that's a lot. It's light work. Apex Mountain, Michael Wait, Keaton. Can I do one more uh, half-ass internet research? Yeah. When they, when P- Peters, I think, or Goober t- took Burton to go meet Nicholson, they were doing something like like in Aspen together. So they they yeah. went to Aspen, and they were uh, gonna go ride horses. And Burton says, "I don't ride horses." And the and Goober's like, "You do today." <laughs> 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 so they went horseback riding with Nicholson to convince him that Burton was the right guy. Oh my god! Apex Mountain, Michael Keaton. Hmm, <sighs> gotta be right. This is the yeah. kind of the biggest I mean, movie Batman. of all time when it came out. Yeah, it's. The, I don't know why I'm I'm stuttering over this. Yeah, I'm gonna say yes because the definition of Apex Mountain, which we. People still are confused by 226 it's, movies it's later. It's the people who are confused by what did, it. What did sure. Damon Wayans say about it? Was he like, I love what you're doing with Apex Mountain? Beautiful stuff. <laughs> he's, he's confused. He was like, I was uh, listening I was listening to Proof of Life for the third time. <laughs> Me and Helen Mirren were actually hanging out listening to it. <laughs> uh, I think yes, because it's supposed to be when you had the most juice and the whole thing. Keaton gets enough juice from this that he makes Pacific Heights where he plays an evil tenant, a movie that makes no sense even as I'm describing it. And they were able to make it because Michael Keaton was the evil tenant. So I'm going to say he had the most that juice That movie right here. fucking rules, though. I love that movie. You, you say the word, CR. Say the word, add it to the schedule. <laughs> still, still not sure what they were doing in that apartment. Kim Basinger, you could argue yes. I mean, she's about to meet Alec Baldwin and have a high profile celebrity romance. And this movie was a big deal and, um, coming off a bunch of stuff. I don't know. Could also say LA confidential. I feel like it's LA confidential. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if she had like a ton of juice at that time necessarily, but she did win the Oscar. She didn't really work after that though. I mean, it's like, it was a long time after LA confidential. She was like played Eminem's mom in eight mile, like five years later. Right. Nicholson, no. We don't have to figure out what his Apex Mountain was, but it's not this. 
Peters and Goober as a combo, I would say yes. So pretty soon after this, they take over Sony and it all falls apart. But they, partly because Batman had enough um, juice to kind of even do that in the first place. So I would say yes. Bob will, absolutely. Well, to be to be confirmed during the Rearless. I'll get, I'll get a chance. Maybe the, the Rearless will be his apex. What's Tim Burton's apex mountain, Sean? I think it's probably this. But he also, because I mean, he uses this to make Edward Scissorhands, and then he u- uses Batman Returns to make Ed Wood, and then I would say it's Batman Returns because that's a, a better movie, and he had more of a stranglehold on that movie, made the movie he wanted to make. Yeah. I think that movie's really good. It is really good. It's it's tough to choose between the two because this movie set the iconography for so much, but two is Returns is. Because Returns has insane great performances across the board. There's no like weird, bad Jack Palance performance in the middle of the movie. It's like everybody is on the same page. Batman movies? No. Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Agree. Picking Nits. We'll take one more break and then we'll do Picking Nits. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it, all that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family... At least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic Drive-Ins. Picking Nits. This is like a, a legendarily famous Picking Nit. Vicky waltzes into the Batcave, finds out Bruce is Batman. There's no reveal. There's no surprise. The movie is leading toward this payoff and then they have no payoff. It's the fucking weirdest thing ever. And Tim Burton, even in 1992, he said, quote, obviously that was one thing I got killed for. It was rough. And then tried to explain it and basically was like, I can be a little belligerent. I think they were giving him notes and he got mad. and was like, fuck this. I'm doing it my way. Um, he said, quote, my impulse was, I said to myself, fuck this bullshit. This is comic book material. I thought, you know, who really cares? But it was a mistake. It went too far. I would say so. This It's just bizarre that they don't pay this off. Yeah, because she sees him and then she's just like, I thought we had like a, we had chemistry, right? Is that the scene you're talking about where she, Alfred brings her in? She yeah. just kind of like, oh yeah, you're Batman. Yeah. It's, it's so confusing. You didn't even really fully know how to describe it. It's also anyway. it's just just a tremendously strange choice to reveal like to have Batman reveal his identity in the first movie. You know, mm-hmm. like this is something that like in other movies they wait over time or some characters never even find out. It's just a very odd choice. Debacle. I always kind of I trip over this whole part of the Batman character where people are like God, who is Batman? It's just such a mystery. It's just like, has the same jawline, same eyes usually. Like, I had that as my second nitpick, Chris. It's these all these superhero the Batman and Superman movies hinge on this inability of anybody to recognize that 
this guy without the mask is the guy with the mask. And Keaton, it's just so clear. It's well, it's Bruce like Wayne, with Superman like, is the worst because it's just like he just puts glasses on and people yeah, are like, look at this fucking dork. You know? You're right. <laughs> the cathedral, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why they end it up there. It comes from, from Peters and Nicholson going to see Phantom of the Opera and being like, we need to rewrite the end of Batman to pay homage to Phantom of the Opera. That's what happened. Yeah. It feels like a little bit of vertigo in there too. Vicky Vale says she only weighs 108 pounds. Kim Basinger is like 5'10". Well, he they he make fun of like it later skeleton. on, right? Yeah, they, they, they make her. the joke about it. Eh, yeah. 108 pounds. I don't know. They, I would have gone with 115. It still would have been funny. The uh, <laughs> comic book fans... It's a tough beat. Comic book fans were pissed about the Joker murdering uh, Bruce Wayne's parents because in the comic book, Joe Chill was the one who murdered the parents. They were very upset about this. Well, they also give him an identity, Jack Napier, which is not something that they had done previous to this. That he's supposed Sorry, to be Tom. somebody you've never, you've, he has no identity. And in Dark Knight, he was like always changing his origin story. He's like, that's the cool thing about it is he just pretends like he, he keeps, he keeps changing like where he came from. They were also really pissed off that uh, Alfred let Vicky into the Batcave. They thought that was a complete betrayal of the comic Bro, bro code. Well, have, have fans always been fucking awful? Like, what's the deal with this? Where people are like, Chris made a great joke about this with the new Batman movie, the hashtag not my Batman, um, which is not actually something that's happening. But the, the constant frustration with things that people hold, hold so dear is it's it, it really interesting that this one probably kicked it off in a big, big way, right? Like fan outrage. Yeah. Over something they'd never seen. And then when they got Listen. it, they were like, this movie's sick. <laughs> We had to deal with that with Fucked Up Family February. That's you right. Know, fans were like, this isn't what I signed up for. Just did Die Hard You were Hard getting again. letters? Yeah. Die Hard. Where's Die Hard 2? You promised. Well, what, what, what do you, how do you respond to those, those letters, that concern? Now is the chance, Bill, to speak to all of the frustrated listeners of the Rewatchables. We're going to have some awesome movies coming up. Mm. I love Fucked Up Family February. I had a great time. I don't really care what other people thought. Me too. We got to talk about premature ejaculation and key parties. And those things never come up stuff. when we talk about Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other nitpicks for You're the, never uh, like, are we sure Hans Gruber wasn't a one pump and done guy? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that why maybe he was so frustrated and needed to take over Nakatomi? Eight seconds, Hans. <laughs> Wait, is this picking nits? Anymore? Yeah, I have one. How about the fact that no one in the world would be intimidated by the Joker's gang? <laughs> Great. Point. So these guys have the city in a fucking headlock, but when you look at them, it's like the Iron Sheik with a boombox and a five foot seven guy who's like wearing a purple bomber jacket, and they're right. like, "Well, the Joker has just overrun us. We can't come up with any solutions." I told Chris yesterday that they looked like bouncers at Planet Hollywood. Like these guys are such clowns. What's going on? And a lot of it seems to be like wrapped up in the the, the Joker's control of a chemical plant. Which, yeah, you know, I mean, I know that, that this is a comic book movie and everything, but it just seems like they had a lot of stuff brewing in that place. Like, just maybe get a little more security and access chemicals. My other one picking nit is uh, when the, uh, the Smilex gets tainted or whatever, whenever the, the, uh, the chemicals get tainted, in within however many days, the newscasters go from like 
totally normal looking to having like boils on their face because they can no longer use beauty products. Right. I was like, look, man, this guy, I don't think this guy would be like falling apart like this, but those are mine. Could this be your band as a 10 episode Netflix show? I'm sure it has. Well, in the Gotham, I guess. Probably unanswerable questions. We already talked about was this Nicholson's secretly most important movie. Sean, do your uh, Dr. J theory for this. Was this movie the Dr. J for... Yeah, I think we're now like in the... If you discount the Ben Affleck Batman and the Zack Snyder verse, which I do, no, no, no shots to Affleck, who I thought was a good Batman, but he's not really in the pantheon, that Keaton as Batman is, is Dr. J and that Bale as Batman in the Nolan films is Michael Jordan and that we're now... We're entering a kind of a LeBron era with with the Reeves films, and this movie's a huge hit. People pretty pretty uniformly seem to like Pattinson a lot, and each one brings something a little bit different to the table. And the Keaton one is very idiosyncratic. We'd never seen anybody do anything like this before. You mentioned the voice. He kind of invented the low-toned voice for Batman. Bale changes it up a little bit. He's a little bit more of a me, me, me guy, you know? Reeves and Pattinson spreading the ball around. A lot of characters in the new one. You know, more of a more of a playmaking scorer. So, you know, it's like it had to it had to start this way. There had to be like a big inspiration. Whether or not it's like actually bad for movies that this happened, I think is debatable. I know that that's what how you kind of open this conversation. You do know, you Dr. Think, J wasn't bad for basketball. Do you think in the fashion of LeBron, Robert Pattinson will demand that Paul Dano get traded for one of his older friends. <laughs> That's actually the big twist in the Batman too, is that the penguin is actually his agent and that uh, <laughs> he's demanding a trade to, uh, to Metropolis. <laughs> Wait, who's Vince Carter in this whole analogy? <laughs> Aquaman. Yeah. No, but Vince Carter out of all the Batmans, who is the most disappointing Batman Clooney? I think Clooney is saddled with the worst bat movie, but I thought he was actually okay as Batman. I think he could have been good with a better filmmaker, but he's weirdly directed and Batman and Robin is trash. So Val Kilmer's like Hakeem Olajuwon. It's he won a couple titles, but it, it, (laughs) people kind of discount them for some reason. Yeah, it, it, Sean's like shit. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to see how far we can go with this. Yeah, brought, brought a knife to a gunfight here. Um, ben Affleck is Ben Axler. Yeah, I was gonna somebody who's been stymied. No, he's got, never got to be chip. older. It's got to be this century, though. He's more ben like Car- he's Carl Malone. I would say, you know, he never got the chip. no. Aff- so then Affleck would be he's in the 2000s. Who's Steph Curry? Well, Affleck could be Kawhi. You know. Capable of winning with a bunch of different teams, but injury plagued. Mm. I would say there's no LeBron. I think Pattinson has a chance to be Curry. I feel like the Steph in the new movie is Zoe Kravitz because I'm like, where's where's her movie? That's that's the movie I want to see now. Yeah. Is we should have workshop this more. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the the best part of the analogy is the Doctor J is, as uh, Michael. He was Keaton. doing fine, and then you started throwing out like, well, "Who's Vince Carter? Who's the world like, be free? Yeah. The Batman universe." <laughs> Adam West Who's is Larry like Hughes, Bob Davies. Sean? Obviously, you haven't given this any thought. <laughs> is Arnold Schwarzenegger the Ricky Davis of the Batman films? <laughs> Adam West is is uh, Paul Arizon. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Caesar Romero Which, is the George Mikan of the Batman films. Can I just tell you, 
how unbelievable Julie Newmar was as Catwoman yeah. watching that show as a kid, where it was like each one it was the my favorite was Burgess Meredith as the penguin, especially because the Rocky connection once Rocky became a thing. But anytime it was Catwoman, it was like, oh my God, this is gonna be like the most amazing one ever. But all the villains are really good. You felt like you you know, they did a good job all the way around. So they, by the well, time we got to the Joker and Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, there was like real stakes and real history with it. One of the smart things is in that first movie, that 66 movie, all the villains are in it. So like, yeah. if you saw that, you were like, mm -hmm. I know who all these characters are for the rest of my life. They're all imprinted on you. And that was good. What piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? I mean, it clearly has to be the Batmobile. What an amazing thing to have parked outside your house. What else would you have, Chris? I would take uh, the... The little palm thing that Nicholson has to electrocute guys. Oh yeah, just because I love dapping people up, and if whenever I see Sean, I would just give him a little shock, you know, just be like, and murder me. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't shrink your head, but I would, I would just give you a little jolt. Didn't uh, didn't Jeff Dunham, the uh, the ventriloquist puppeteer, oh. buy, buy the Batmobile? Did he? I think he did. Yeah. Great purchase. What a yeah. great use of money. See, are yeah. you're a huge Dunham guy. What do I you am. think about that? That thing's yeah. ten tupled. If he bought it, that thing's ten tupled. <laughs> Uh, who won the movie? We're all say Nicholson, right? <laughs> uh, I yeah, it's either Nicholson. Nicholson or Burton. Strong case. I for would Burton. say Burton wins the next one because it seems like Burton was so unhappy with so many things about how this movie played out. It's hard to think that he won the movie. It's surprising that they brought him back for the yeah. second one because it, you know, it seems like there was a lot of angst. Yeah, I would say Nicholson. All right, before we go, let's bring producer Craig in. Hello. Who was born well after this movie? Came out. He was born in the darkness. <laughs> Craig, how what was it like to see this version of a Batman movie after you've seen all the really well done, extraordinary Batman movies? Yeah, so I saw the Batman, the Robert Pattinson Batman, like twenty four hours before watching this Batman. Um, it was it was tough, you know. I listen. I don't deny that like Jack Nicholson is scene stealing and charismatic. But it just feels like he did every scene in one take and is just like not really giving a shit. I, that was the vibe I got. Like this movie almost feels like if you showed like your son, Bill, and told him that this is like a scary movie parody of Batman because of how serious Batman has gotten mm. and like how serious the villains are. I feel like this movie looks like a parody when like Jack Nichols is like dancing around to Prince and like, you know, destroying the art. I was like, this could be a scary movie scene of Batman. I would I would argue I, that's, that's part not of the what, wrong take. But that's part of what makes it fun, right? Yeah. Is that it's different. It's not this super I like self-serious Batman movies, but it's not self-serious. It's a it's kind of a joke. Yeah. I guess I didn't really know that. I kind of always assumed that Batman was like incredibly serious and dark. Oh no. And it was just weird to see Jack Nicholson. He was like, he was like a pop art kind of thing for, for a long time. So Craig, mm. you never saw the NBC sitcom about Batman with Jerry Seinfeld before he did Seinfeld? No. In that six range? Yeah, no, that happened. It was, called, serious? it was called Batman and Robin, but they worked in a coffee shop. <laughs> no, it didn't happen. I think I could have sold him <laughs> on that, though. You could have. Uh, uh, all right. Well, that was a good take. Uh, all right. Batman 1989. This podcast was produced by Craig Korlbeck. As always, you can hear Sean on the big picture. You can hear Chris. Also, the, the re-R-list. Don't forget about the, the re-R-list. Yeah. Re Sean, have we, have we ironed that out? Is that Spotify exclusive or, have, or are you still working yeah, on, how are we gonna, on you can, it? You can actually yeah. only hear it on Cyberdust. Every episode <laughs> will disappear after uh, 24 hours. So check me out there. All right. We'll be back with another big movie next week. Thanks for listening to the rewatchables. Awesome.